Well, you guys know that um, we've been talking, I talked about last time it was called The Other Half of Church, which is a book by Michael, what's the last name, Bob? No, Jim Wilder and Michael somebody or other. Hendrick, Hendricks, yeah. They, they co-wrote a book together called The Other Half of Church. And it's a book that talks about the right and the left brain is, in terms of like neurotheology, right? Um, for those of you who didn't hear that, it was a couple weeks ago, um, obviously we have a left and a right brain, right? But the way that um, our brains work, whenever we get any kind of sensation, like any physical sensation, hear, taste, smell, anything like that, it comes through the back of our head here, goes up through the right, across, and back out the left brain. It always goes to the right brain first. The right brain is more, it's what you would call your gut instinct. It's what we operate from before we get to the left side and go, wait a minute, what's going on? It moves faster than our left brain. It thinks faster. Um, it's, it's responsible for our emotions, um, attachments, community, things like that. Your left brain is language. It's thinking, um, you know, computation, all those kinds of things. It would be what we would normally think of logical functions. But, but the thing is, what, what these authors found out was that in the church, we tend to emphasize the left brain more than the right brain, even though the left brain is a little bit slower and not as quick to move as the right brain. And we find that in the right brain is where we have connectedness, where our relationships grow, um, where we feel attachment. It's healthy emotions originate in the right brain. What happens sometimes if people have not been um, raised with a lot of right brain activity or right brain um, exercise, they can be lopsided. They can only be left-brained, and the right brain is hard to access, or it's a little bit stunted. It's a little bit stunted. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about our right brain and how we can open it up and we can restore it to what it's supposed to be and actually look at the way our group functions. I'm so thankful because um, I, really it was Joe and Stephanie that told me first about it. I know Bob had always been interested in neural theology and then Joe and Stephanie told me about this book and I'm like, well, I'll check it out. And as I started reading it, I said, wait a minute. This is everything I believe. I just haven't written it out yet. Like, they stole my idea, right? Like, I should have patented my idea because this is everything I believe. But, but what's going on is this, these authors are putting, putting words to what I've already known in my right brain, in my gut, in my heart. They're putting words to something I think has got real power and is absolutely the answer to the to the problems today in our world. I, I absolutely believe this with all my heart. Have any of you guys um, ever watched that show called Alone? It's, I think it's on Netflix. Have you watched it? Okay. You, it's about, I'm going to tell you what it's about. Um, Alone is a, um, it's like a competition. People go out into the wilderness with 10 items they get to select, and whoever lasts the longest in the wilderness will win some kind of prize. They're all alone. They have to film themselves and they have to catch their own food and all that kind of stuff. So we're watching season seven, which is a hundred days they have to survive by themselves. And what happens is, you know, they have to, they have to build their own shelter. They have to like fish or hunt big game or, or trap rabbits. 
They have to, what else do they have to do? Keep themselves alive, not get injured. And what happens, you guys, is about day 40, day 45, I'm only on, I've got two more episodes to go, people start to tap out. And they have to call up and say, I'm officially tapping out. And then people come and get them. They're an hour away. Do you know why they tap out? They can't be alone anymore. Sometimes they have an injury, and they're like, I don't want to risk my body. Most of the time, they're, they're starting to really suffer with being alone. They're really starting to fall apart because they can't stay in the game mentally. They have no one to talk to. There was one girl, her name is like Keely or Kylie. Did you watch season seven? Don't tell me who won. Okay. Okay. There was a girl, Keely, and she was, she had, <laughs> you know, that they trap bunnies. And you know what's so cool about it? When they trap these bunnies, they always say, thank you for your life. I mean, they're very respectful. I love it. She's got this bunny hanging up, and she's, like, petting the fur and got the little, little um, rabbit foot up to her face because she goes, I need to hug something. You know, even if it's this dead animal, I've got to touch something. I have to hug something. And I thought that was such a good example for what we're talking about today because um, we're going we're gonna to go through this book that I've, I've um, shared with you. Hello. Yeah, what's going on with you? We're going to go through this book chapter by chapter because I think it's absolutely foundational for what our DNA here is as a group. I don't think you would be here if you didn't value community in some way because we talk about community all the time, right? I think, yes, and I think it's crucial, absolutely foundational for what God wants to do in our lives. Um, Michael, the... um, the author, he uses this metaphor of a garden. He was a spiritual, um, the, the pastor in charge of spiritual growth at his church, and he would try to get people to do their, their discipleship, you know, track and read the Bible and pray and have certain spiritual disciplines, and he found that it was only half successful. He's like, why do some people engage this and other people don't engage this? Like, I'm not having very much success. And what he found out is the people that had unhealthy right brain activity, we're not able to go to the left brain and engage these activities. They were stuck. They were wounded. They were shut down. They had something going on here that prevented the left brain engagement. So he began to meet with other pastors and kind of talk about, like, what are we going to do about this? Because I, I feel like, you know, I'm trying to help people become more like Jesus, but I'm not succeeding very well. So he talks about spiritual growth like a garden, right? We, we have a garden, and our hope is that we grow plants that will produce a harvest, that will produce something for us to eat, right? What he found out is in order to have a healthy garden, you have to have healthy soil. You have to prepare the soil. He had a tomato plant one um, year that he planted in his backyard, and it just grew fantastic tomatoes. And he did the second year, and he did it the third year, and the harvest began to diminish, And what he found out is he had depleted the soil. The soil was depleted, and he could no longer produce those tomatoes. And so what what we're going to use as a metaphor is if we're going to have spiritual growth, if we're going to have a character like Jesus, we've got to prepare our our soil. The The number one ingredient to our soil, and this is what I love so much, is a thing called joy. 
What do you guys think joy is? Not you people that read the book, but everybody else. How would you define joy? Happiness? What else? It's not a trick question. You can just say anything you want to say. I'm not, there's no failing grades here. You're all getting A's in this room, okay? No failing grades. What do you think joy is? Contentment. It only comes from God. What else? Gratefulness. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, for purposes of our discussion, we're going to talk about joy as something that can only come from the Lord, and it's like a meta-emotion, for, to use the current vernacular. The, it's the overarching emotion or place of being that we need to be as Christians. Unfortunately, I don't know about you, but I was raised not having a, a really good idea of God. I mostly thought God was kind of far away, like in a Cinderella castle, on like maybe a throne, and he was, he was somewhat interested in my life, and you know, very interested in sin as it went on in the world, but he was very distant. He was not a close personal, sitting right here kind of person. Does anyone relate to that? Do you think that that can somehow mess us up when we think about who God really is? You know, one thing I really like about this book is that um, it, it, began to, it began to explain, sorry, my hair. It began to explain that in Hebrew and even in Greek, when they would say the presence of God is with you or may God's presence bless you, I was always like, well, what does that mean? What does the presence of God mean? There's churches that would say, We're all about the presence of God. I'm like, well, what is the presence of it? What does that mean? Like him being right here, having a tingling feeling? Like what does that really, what what is the presence? We should all be about the presence of God. You know, and I just could never relate to that, right? What I found out is that in the Hebrew and the Greek, the presence, the, the original language is usually the face of God. The face. I can relate to a face. Because you know what? I live with a bunch of faces. So I can relate to a face. I'm going to read you some scriptures. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is from the Passion. It's the same verse. I'm going to read it in three different translations. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness, is the one who has cascaded his light into us. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus. That's the, that's the passion. This is the NIV. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is the um, NLT, the New Living. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So what I, what I hear is that Jesus looks like the face of God. That's what I hear, right? And when I, when I think about Moses coming face to face with God, he actually saw in some way the face of God so much that his, that his own face reflected a glory, a light that had to be covered because the people were so freaked out by it. So I believe it's 
it's easier for me, it's, it's a paradigm shift for me to think, oh, when I'm worshiping God, his face is literally shining on me. His face is literally shining. And he's like, oh, I'm so glad to see you here. Oh, my gosh. You're my favorite, Janet. You're my favorite. That's what the Lord is saying to us. And what a message that would be to the world if, we, if the world could hear the Lord say, Kelly, you're my favorite. I'm so pleased with you. You've been doing so many cool things. Are we ever taught that? Do we ever think of God that way? Do you guys think of God that way? I feel like my right brain has been handicapped because I've only seen him as a faraway emperor, but not someone who's a father and is like, man, I'm cheering you on, Chris. I got great plans for you. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited what you're doing in your life right now. Let's talk about that more later. I love it. I mean, could you imagine hearing God say that to you? Wouldn't that be our seeing his face light up when he sees you? One thing that the author says is that it's important to understand that God designed our brains to run on joy, just like cars run on gas. We were made to run on joy. It is the meta emotion of our life is joy. If we do not have joy in our life, we are running on empty. And, and tell me, how far does a car get when it runs on empty? Why is it when babies are born, the first thing they do is they begin to track with people's faces? And why is it when babies don't see faces, they have horrible emotional disabilities? Am I right, Chris? And is it, is it possible, we, we talked about this last time, is it possible that that's why we like dogs so much or, those, or, or horses or those animals that when we see them, they run up to us and they're like, oh my gosh, you're home already. I can't believe it. I've been waiting all day for you to get here. Can't you hear your dog saying that? I can remember, I had to, we had to, our dog went to heaven and he's waiting for us outside the pearly gates, I'm sure. But um, Chris used to say that, that he was part cat. He wasn't part cat. He was just a very loving dog. But whenever I would go away, he would sit on the top of our couch with his face at the door, waiting for me to walk through that door. He was waiting. I mean, I'm not saying this out of pride, but I, I was his favorite. I was his favorite. And whenever I wasn't there, he would perch on that little thing and wait for me to come home because he had to see me. Is that maybe why God gave us dogs? Because we needed that. that even in the animal world, we needed that kind of approval so much. Because I believe, <laughs> I believe that this idea of community and approval and love and everything like that has existed from the beginning. It's been in the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Spirit in this joyful community with each other that they wanted to share with humanity, but humanity, you know, messed it up, right? So the Lord's like, okay. Now we'll do something else. But here's a dog in the meantime. Here, here's a Labrador in the meantime, you know, because I know you need my face and you're not looking at me and I really, really want to show you how much I love you. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I don't, I don't begin to know the ins and outs of this whole issue. But I believe it's possible that we have such identity issues in this world today because so many children 
are not experiencing the approval from their family or their extended family or whatever that they need. And so they're looking for approval any way they get it. Whatever group will approve of them, that's where they're going to go. And I, and I feel like that's such a shame. I don't, I'm not saying that's the, the case in every situation, but I believe that to be true for many, many children. Listen to this, you guys. I'm going to read you Numbers 6, 24 through 26. This is one of my favorite ones. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. That's a wonderful blessing. That's the NLT. Here's the NIV. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is the message. This is one of the best. God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Now listen, let's just camp on that for a second. Let's just camp on this. God wants to turn his face full on you and make you prosper. That's joy. Do you feel that joy in your body when I say that? Do you feel that tangibly in your body? That's your right brain opening up. When you feel that in your body, you're experiencing that in your right brain. From his book, it says, Brain science reveals that this joy sensation is crucial for emotional and relational development. The joy on another person's face when they greet us fills our emotional gas tank. I know this is true because now how many, how many years have we been doing marriage group? Like three years maybe? And, and we know that one of the primary um, images for God and his relationship with humanity is the marriage metaphor. God talks about it in the Old Testament. Jesus talks about it in the New Testament. So anything we learn in the marriage class is actually kind of a reflection of this relationship between God and humanity. But I'll tell you this one thing. There's a, there's an, a marriage theory out there that talks about keeping your love bank full. You guys heard that before? My love bank is full. My love bank is empty. You've emptied my love bank. Remember those kinds of things? So when we're running on empty in, on joy, we can't run at all. We start looking for joy substitutes. What do you think those are? Addictions. Addiction, sorry? Oh, bad habits. Okay, I couldn't hear you. Bad habits, addictions, substitutes, anything that is going to fill that gas tank up. But you guys, it's not the right kind of gas. You're not going to get very far on it. You're, in fact, you're going to burn your car out because it's, it's not the right kind of joy. God created us for joy and only one kind of joy, and it's the joy that comes from his approval on his face when he looks at us. That's what we were created for. We were created to walk around in the garden all day long and talk to the Lord and, and plan incredible things together and hear how much God was like, man, whoo. So glad I get to talk to you today. What are we going to do today? Name some animals? Let's name some animals. You want to, hey, 
Maybe I'll create, you know, a helpmate for you. That'd be awesome. You're going to really like her. It's going to be fun for you. Right? Can you imagine, can you imagine if that, if we, if, if humanity never fell, where we'd be? We'd be all over the universe by now, right? We'd be on every planet. We'd be doing what we're called to do because nothing would be holding us back. And we'd be co-creators with God. We'd be partners with the Lord. And we would not be held back with our identity issues. Right? I'm, oh. Gets me fired up because when we get to heaven, we're going to be like that, you know. It's going to be restored. We get to start doing it here on earth. It's going to be cool. I mean, we get to partner with that. But when we get to heaven, watch out. I'm going to be on fire, just so you know. I'm going to be doing a lot of things. How about this for a, um, a Psalm 1611? No, John 15, 11, sorry. Instead of Jesus saying, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. We've heard that verse before, right? That's the NIV, perfectly fine verse. Suppose we translated it this way. My father's face lights up when he sees me because I am so special to him. I'm telling this to you so that you will feel how special you are to my father and me. Our faces are shining with delight when we look at you. Would that change the whole thing for you? Feeling joy, feeling a tangible sense of joy in our bodies is a sign that our right brain is functioning smoothly. Conversely, not that, not that this isn't smooth, but remember, have any of you experienced anxiety, depression, fear, and where do you sometimes experience it? Stomach. Stomach, yes, physically. Stomach has been called what? Your second brain, right? There's more serotonin in your stomach than in your brain. So when we have anxiety or um, depression, a lot of times our guts are churning. Churn, churn, churn. Or we have ulcers. We feel it in our physical body. It's because our emotions are connected to our right brain, which regulates our body. And we sometimes get away from those feelings in our body because we become so left-brained, follow the science in our world, right? We're so, let's talk about doctrine. Let's make good choices. Let's do this. Let's do that. When really we need to focus on what is our right, right brain doing? What is our stomach telling us? Why are, we, why, is, why are we churning in our stomach? What's going on? Let's pay attention to that. How are we leaking joy somewhere where our suffering is not even covered by joy? Remember, joy is a meta emotion. It covers everything so that even when we're suffering, we're still connected to joy. We're still connected to God's face even when we're suffering. But we have to be really conscious. We need to be aware of our body feelings and not think that they're unimportant because they're not. God created us with a body on purpose. Jesus was a body on purpose. He wasn't just a soul or spirit. He was a physical body, and bodies are important to the Lord. Joy is the foundation for a secure relationship with God. And I think this is a goal that we need to work at. And we need to work at it 
over and over and over. We may never get there, but we need to begin to be intentional about this. Our goal is to work towards a nurturing a loving relationship with God until there is no fear. Now, how many of you guys do how many of you guys here believe you've already arrived at that? Anybody? With no fear. With no fear. No fear of him or no fear in general. Debbie? I would say I do not I have not arrived there at all. Um, I still I still fear disapproval, letting him down, not being good enough, um, being a failure. Right? I still feel those things. I want to be in a relationship with God where I absolutely don't feel any of that. Now I'm not saying that you know I can do whatever I want and not feel correction from Him, but I'm talking about a relationship absent of fear. Because you know why I want that? Because I want that with my husband. And whatever my, the, the relationship I have with my husband, I want that even more with God. Does that make sense? I want to have such a relationship with my husband, such, such intimacy with him, that I don't ever have to fear his reaction. And that's the kind of intimacy I want with God. Because that's the defini- of, definition of intimacy is having such a relationship we don't fear anything, not even our mistakes will separate us from God. Not even our failures will separate us from his approval. There's something about approval that we don't understand about God. And I think that that's a number one goal we need to go after here, is to really nail down the idea of the meta-emotion of joy. We're going to um, go ahead and close our service, and I really want you to give faces of approval to Joe and Stephanie, because they cooked again this week, and they need, they need some good love and approval faces, so I want you to do that, okay? I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and end our service. I give you approval, Chris. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your approval, God. Thank you for your face of approval that shines on us here tonight, Lord. Thank you that we can approach your throne, which is close. Actually, you're right here. You're just right here, Jesus. And we get to come and link our arms with you and gaze into your face and see your love and approval for us any minute of any day. Thank you that you have made a way for us to see you again and be close to you again. Thank you that you loved us so much you wouldn't let us go. Bless us tonight as we fellowship together, as we love each other, God, and be in our congregation. Bless Joel and Stephanie for their, just their servant leadership, God. We bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.